Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Contest, our ongoing podcast about the race for the presidency in 2024. And we are at the starter's gun is about to go with the Iowa caucuses just next week. Uh, Weather forecasts are there's going to be a blizzard in Iowa. I grew up in Ohio, a good Midwestern boy. And I'm aware that when they say blizzard, they aren't kidding. It's not like there are blizzards in quotes here in Milan. Uh, There'll be, you know, a foot or so of snow, miserable conditions and a wind chill that'll get you killed if you sit out in your car for too long. So it will be a challenge to get to the caucuses. But this is the beginning of the long process to pick the most powerful person in the world. And we will be following it all the way through with you. Uh, Before we get going, though, I just want to say on a personal note, thanks to so many of you for writing kind notes on, gosh, every platform. Twitter, LinkedIn has been an immense response. And then to me personally about the book launch yesterday, it was a wonderful and gratifying response by our community. I know there were some problems about getting people who wanted to write reviews. And so let me just cut through the nonsense. Amazon and John Goodnight, my friend and chief of staff, made this clear to me last night have made it incredibly difficult to actually write a reference because so many people um, have cheated in doing this. And so there are stringent systems in place that sometimes get in the way of common sense. But today, it's very, very simple. In both the UK, Europe, the United States, everywhere, feel free to write a recommendation. And we would love it if you did for the book. Give us the five stars. Um, In Europe, the UK, the US, literally everywhere, there should be absolutely no problem with you doing so if you regularly use your Amazon. And it would mean an immense amount to us as a community as we use that algorithm to help us, Jeff Bezos, to help us sell as many books as possible. And there's already been a spike in book sales even before we've done any PR in the UK. Uh, I've always done extremely well there. In fact, half our clients come from the UK It's where I went to university. Uh, It's where I wrote the last book and feel very, very comfortable. And I know it in some ways every bit as well as as Washington, and I would argue in the last 20 years, maybe even better. And it's really great to see that show up, that already we're knocking on chart numbers um, in the UK. And uh, this is after one day and no publicity. So this is for a political book. Amazing. The books that tend to sell... Oprah's books sell. If Oprah likes your book, it'll sell. If you're a psychology book, self-help book, you'll sell. If you're a cookbook and you write a good one, I like Jamie Oliver's myself, they'll sell. Um, If you do a political book, it's a much narrower market. Uh, We are on course, though, to we we have 50,000 books we want to sell, which would be a gigantic success uh, around the world and would make it one of the best-selling political books of the year by far. That is our unabashedly ambitious goal for an unabashedly um, ambitious book. And so I'm very, very excited to say that we're off to a great start. Thank you, UK, for leading the way. We're already in the charts in the UK with no publicity, but please do today, everybody, write that review. I know it was frustrating yesterday. There'll be no problem writing a review today. Give us the five stars. Tell us why in just a sentence or two, and let's get the famed Bezos algorithm working for us in the U.S., the U.K., and in Europe. So thank you so much. Now on to the rest of the world. I will be mentioning writing the review, but I promise less and less as we get back to normal. And uh, again, I will let you know, last thing on the book, um, any new publicity that comes our way, and there are a lot of exciting things in the wind, but we will see what happens. 
uh, Kathleen, our crack PR um, person who runs her own agency, and John are frantically doing this while I keep the day job and the business going. So here we are with the contest 2024. Iowa's next week. We're going to have a blizzard. What this means is that getting out the vote matters, that the ground team in Iowa will matter because caucuses and uh, caucuses are different from primaries. Those of you who are foreign listeners, which is about half our audience, I can see your eyes rolling back in your head. Please don't. The simple way to put it is that a caucus, you have to be much more motivated to vote. In a primary, it's what you think. You go into a voting booth, your name is checked off, preferably with some form of ID. I don't find it racist that you have a driver's license or some form of ID, a library card, a passport, anything will do. You, your name is checked off a list. You go and you vote, you leave. That's how this works. It's not, it's not complicated. Caucuses are, you go to a specific area. Everybody gives a little speech of caucus captains doing why their uh, candidate should be president. Everybody listens, and then they go to a corner of the room. So there'll be a corner of the room for the Republicans, for DeSantis, and a corner of the room for Wamaswamy, and one for Haley, and one for Trump, etc., and then if your candidate doesn't get enough votes, there's a threshold per, per gymnasium. These are often held in gyms. Then whoever's left, those votes are redistributed to everybody else. So if only two people show up for Ramaswamy's corner of the room, that's not enough to meet the threshold of the caucus, which varies depending on where you are. You then go and have to reassemble yourself with your second choice. So you'd wander over in Ramaswamy's case probably to Trump. And after this is done and we finally have people who have been redistributed above that threshold, you've reached the results. So it's quite an involved process, a caucus. You've got to be motivated to go. If there's a blizzard, you've got to be really motivated to get out. I remember this and spending months inside in in Ohio and hating it. Uh, it. I get two extra months being outside here in Milan, which, trust me, I notice is an Ohio boy. But... This is a key fact about how caucuses work. The voter has to be motivated and the people, the ground game of the various candidacies have to be motivated to make this thing work for them. And so it's a different process. Where we are um, in the course, and we'll talk through the primaries now, we will save the presidential for as we move along. We'll do this as it's done. Just to give you the, the headline view of the presidential at the moment, Donald Trump is notionally ahead nationally of Joe Biden in most polls by two to three percent at the at the borders of um, it being beyond uh, dispute. More interestingly, state by state in the key states that are going to matter, he is definitively ahead. And let's let's be clear as to how to think about American presidential politics. Forty of the fifty states we can distribute now, meaning right now, gun to my head, I'm not worried in the least. I can call. 40 of the 50 states. Most states are overwhelmingly one thing or another. Massachusetts will vote for the Democrat. California will vote for the Democrat. New York will vote for the Democrat. Take it to the bank. That will be be clear, just like um, California, Florida, Massachusetts, all Democratic states. Florida will vote for the Republican. Ohio is likely to vote for the Republican. Most of the plains and western states will vote for the Republican. Much of the South will vote for the Republican. Much of New England will vote for the Democrats. You can apportion states so that you're left with toss-up states of under 10. But there are a couple key states to watch that are going to tell the tale, and they're similar to the election in 2020. Pennsylvania is a mighty state the Democrats almost have to win. 
uh, to, to go ahead. Arizona is a toss-up state. Georgia is a toss-up state. Michigan is a toss-up state that Trump's actually up in. It normally votes Democratic, but Trump is up at the moment there. So that's an interesting one to watch. So Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Georgia, um, Arizona, Pennsylvania, above all. These are some of the states that we're going to be watching where there really is a competitive race and will tell the tale. And in these toss-up states, Bloomberg did an excellent poll recently. Trump is ahead beyond the margin of error in almost all of them. Meaning that if, and we vote by state, by electoral votes, meaning if the election were to occur today, Donald Trump would win a clear victory. Uh, and that's where we are going in. Biden's approval rating is just at the edge of comatose. It's at 39.9, real clear politics average today. And the basic rule of thumb for the health of a presidency, if he's above 60% approval, he's FDR and Reagan, he can tell the Congress what to do. If he's below 40%, he's trying to squelch rumors that he's dead. He's trying to prove that he's relevant. Joe Biden is just at the edge of that relevant number. The cross tabs, which are the lower level numbers, when you actually dig into a poll, or even worse for Biden, catastrophic numbers in the economy. We'll talk more about that, the mystery of why he's not getting credit for his economy. I can explain it in one word, though, prices, um, that people think the economy is a mess because they remember prices pre-COVID and post-COVID, and the accumulated rate of inflation over the last three years is immense, and Biden owns that. Foreign policy, the numbers are low with the tumult in Gaza, Ukraine, and the worries over China. Uh, immigration is a catastrophe where the Biden people have made no effort whatsoever to close the open border. So on all these issues, he's he's below that 39 percent. And on the economy, he's below that. So, wow, uh, the president is in grave trouble, slightly losing to Donald Trump, the two putative nominees now. And that's even before we get in at the Olympian level to the third party candidates, almost all of whom take away from Biden, that when you look in the crosstabs, and it's not a Trump versus Biden race, but it's a Trump versus Biden versus Kennedy versus Stein versus Manchin race, then you got yourself an even bigger problem. Bobby Kennedy is polling remarkably well, between 15 and 20 percent, most favorable ratings of anybody running for president while he runs a very positive issue-oriented campaign. And interestingly, despite the famous last name, He's polling relatively equally uh, in terms of polling from the Democrats and the Republicans because he's against what he calls the war machine, which is in line with realist thinking in the Republican Party. He's anti-neocon. He's skeptical of the United States' performance during COVID, of Fauciism. Um, we'll probably do one on Fauci now because there's been some absolutely shocking testimony in the Senate as to Fauci's negligence, almost criminal negligence, certainly negligence. Um, that we're going to talk about, I think, later. We have to follow up the story. And remember, we called the lab leak before anybody. And we're not wearing tin hats, and now everybody's come around. This is what doing great political risk is about, is getting it right and getting it early. Um, so there's that. So Kennedy pulls from both, almost equally, um, despite the famous last name. Maybe slightly more Democrats and Republicans at the moment, but it's still close. That may change, and we'll watch the polling numbers if that changes as we go. But at the moment, he's running a very strong third-party campaign, in line to run the strongest third-party campaign since Ross Perot in the early 1990s, got 19% of the vote, um, which is extraordinary in 1992. And he he's in line to give that a run. Uh, but he's pulling rel relatively equally at the moment. Jill Stein, though, the Green candidate, 
pulling, you know, one to three percent. This is not insignificant with these very narrow margins in places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Arizona. And Stein pulls almost exclusively from the Democrats. The, it's the Green Party. They're not going to vote Republican. They're going to vote Democrats. So this is a pool of one to three percent, which is a significant tally pulling away from Biden. Joe Manchin, if he were to run from a the no labels party, which is putting uh, its candidate on the ballot as a centrist third party run, that would pull predominantly from Democrats. And Cornell West, the progressive running an independent campaign for president, West is polling quite well. He's a, he's a firebrand, a very good progressive speaker, and he's pulling anywhere from 2 to 5% of the vote, again, almost all from the Democrats. So Stein, 1 to 3 from the Democrats. Cornell West, 2 to 5 from the Democrats. In both cases, neither show any inclination to get out to help Biden. They say what all third-party candidates do, they're all equally bad. And so the top-line number for Biden is worse than it seems. It's not that he's down just on the edges of the margin of error to Trump with the third-party candidates, with Stein and Cornell West particularly, with Bobby Kennedy being awash, you have Biden significantly down in these early states. And that's where we are as the starting gun goes. So now let's dig down about both parties and what's likely to happen going ahead. Well, Iowa, despite the, the, the ground game mattering, is a foregone conclusion. Um, certainly, uh, Donald Trump is going to win Iowa. He's up by anywhere from the real clear politics average has him up in Iowa just over 30 percent. A 20 to 40 percent win is on the cards. A key thing to, to watch if you want to know what a thumping is, does Donald Trump win by more than the next candidate gets in votes, garners in votes? So Donald Trump is at about 50 percent. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are at about 18, 19 percent. That would have Trump win by 31, which is more than either of them would get in a vote. That's a good old-fashioned shellacking, to use a good Obama phrase. That's a shellacking. And that seems the likely outcome in Iowa. It's almost a foregone conclusion. And what this means is that Ron DeSantis' time is about over because he's put all his eggs in the Iowa basket. He's won the endorsement of the popular governor, Kim Reynolds of, of, of Iowa. He's won the endorsement of a number of prominent evangelical ministers. Iowa is socially quite conservative, more so than the rest of the country. He's visited famously all 99 counties. The Grassley test, as Senator Grassley has done, is that he visits every single county. DeSantis has put in the work, done his homework in Iowa, and he's still at only 18 to 19 percent. If he doesn't do very well and, and surprise expectations quite a lot in Iowa, DeSantis is done. He's finished. Not so for Nikki Haley. If Nikki Haley, despite being shellacked by Trump in Iowa, manages to beat DeSantis for second place in their neck and neck right now, that will be seen and will be a headline of Haley outperforming expectations, however much Donald Trump wins by and that will get her on to New Hampshire. So going in, and Ramaswamy is an afterthought. So going into New Hampshire, you'll have Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, finally the famous one-on-one -on -one race that uh, so many never Trumpers have wanted. And to add to the kind of excitement in New Hampshire, there are a couple of factors there that really do favor Haley politically. One, uh, New Hampshire has a very, and again, the states make up all the rules, so there, there are always slight differences primary to primary, which political junkies like me follow religiously in the off years. 
will be boring people at bars talking about New Hampshire voting. Uh, but actually, I find it fascinating, and I have since I was a teenager. Uh, New Hampshire uh, allows independents to vote in the primaries, meaning that, that people can vote in the primaries for the Republican Party who are not really Republicans. And that leads to it skewing left of the party. Well, this helps Haley because right of the party has been taken up with Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis up to now and Ramaswamy to a lesser extent up to now. And so the people voting can be independent voters who just decided to vote in the Republican caucus. And these would be people who would basically vote two to one for Haley. So this helps her. The other thing that helps her is just this morning, Chris Christie the combative former governor of New Jersey, who is famously the only major candidate to spend a lot of time attacking Donald Trump, he dropped out this morning. And although Christie was absolutely nowhere nationally, he'd run because of this skewing of the never Trumpers and the moderate voters into the Republican primary in New Hampshire, a very strong candidacy in New Hampshire, where he was a clear third, well into double digits, 11, 12% of the vote, not an in, uh, unsubstantial number of people were supporting Chris Christie. And Christie dropped out this morning, and most of his voters, again, by two to one, uh, according to polling, will go to Nikki Haley. So this, the primary system skews toward Haley, and Christie dropping out skews toward Haley. And this is impressive. Also, her numbers have shot up in New Hampshire, where she's put most of her eggs. So she's at 29.9% roughly in New Hampshire. And Trump is at roughly 42.2, I think was the last number. So she's at, say, 30. That would be a little high. But say she's at 30. Trump's at 42 plus. Christie's at 10 or 11. If you add in Christie's total to the overall total, you got yourself a real horse race in New Hampshire, that it's going to be rather close. And in fact, in a recent CNN poll, which may be an outlier, uh, Haley had pulled to within nine points, single digits of Donald Trump. That's the first sign of any sort of horse race, because up to now, it's just been Trump, Trump, Trump. And indeed, if you look at the national number, and we don't vote that way, but Trump is up 25, 30 points over 50, well ahead of everybody else who are just the dwarves to his Snow White, um, ahead of everybody else. So this this is the moment that if Haley's going to win, she'll do it. And before we go down the road, the, the fantasy road of the Never Trumpers, why do I think she's still fool's gold? I did a podcast not all that long ago saying that she's a busted flush, that she can't win. I still think that. And among the people who agree with me, ironically, about this are Chris Christie, who was caught on an open mic just before he withdrew. And Christie said, look, I'm withdrawing because this will help Haley. She's the only one who can stop Trump, so I'm going to do it. And that's exactly right. But then he went on to say on this open mic that he didn't know was hot, he said two things. One, that DeSantis was petrified about me dropping out. And two, and fundamentally, Trump is going to smoke Haley in the upcoming uh, presidential election that there is no doubt in his mind that Trump will be the nominee. And he hasn't bothered to disavow this comment because he's a seasoned Paul who can count. And this is the case. So let's play the game. Let's play the bar game that guys like me play around the world. Um, hopefully we play it with a little bit more rigor and a, certainly a better political risk call. And uh, boy, we've been on the money so far and, and inshallah we'll continue being on the money. Um, say that Haley gets most of Christie's votes and say that New Hampshire is a, is a close result. Say that even that she comes a very close second 
uh, to Trump, that that number is whittled down further. And in effect, it's a dead heat in New Hampshire. And the never Trumpers go crazy. They have three weeks uh, to, to fill the airwaves until we get to the next primary, which is South Carolina, ironically, where Nikki Haley was governor. It's her home state. And where as of this morning, Donald Trump, according to Real Clear Politics, is up by 29 points. That's right. Donald Trump is winning Governor Haley's home state, where she was the boss, the governor, by 29 points. So say Haley even ekes out a win or a close second or a tie in New Hampshire, and suddenly we have a horse race. Immediately then, three weeks later, the momentum of this Haley goes down and whittles the number down to, say, 20%. And what do we have then? Trump overwhelmingly beats her in her home state. Game over. Then she's on the ropes. A few weeks later, we have Super Tuesday, where by every individual state number and every national number, Haley is toast. And so I agree with Chris Christie. The only upside of excitement for a media desperate for a horse race, beyond just hating Trump, the media are always desperate for a horse race. It makes for much more interesting copy than just writing, gee, Trump is going to win, which has been the story of the primary so far, is the lack of drama has been the story, not the drama. But say that this happens, even if, if New Hampshire is a bump in the road, it's a bump in the road for very specific reasons. The way that people can vote there, Christie dropping out, and Haley putting all her eggs in that basket. When we come to her home state, which in theory she ought to do well in, Trump is likely to thump her and finish her off by Super Tuesday. And that's what we at the firm are very confident will happen along with Governor Christie. I think that Trump will smoke her, and I think that's how it will happen. Uh, that's the best case scenario for Haley. Of course, Trump could still win New Hampshire by five points. The media would say, oh, look how weak he is, but he'd still win. Uh, but even with the best case scenario, Haley's days are numbered and Trump is more than overwhelmingly likely to be the nominee. On the Democratic side, we can go a lot more quickly. I mean, Dean Phillips is running against Biden. Their dreams of a Lyndon Johnson moment where Biden just says, look, I'm losing. I don't have it in me anymore. Does the 1968 Lyndon Johnson after Gene McCarthy had run him so close in New Hampshire, which was de facto against expectation, a damning result uh, based on the Vietnam War. And then Bobby Kennedy, his great fear, had entered the race. The, the father of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had entered the race. I mean, Johnson feared historically being bookended by two Kennedys, as he said. And he hated and feared Bobby Kennedy. And when he went in the race as an anti-Vietnam candidate, Johnson saw his days were numbered, and to beat Bobby Kennedy, which he wanted to do above all things, he threw his support to Hubert Humphrey. It's been a very long time since the president walked away. That was 1968. I was one year old at the time, to give you an idea. And those of you know, there's some gray in my hair, flex, but gray in my hair. And it's been that long since the president walked away. The only one who could make him walk away would be Jill Biden, and there seems to be no evidence that she'll do that. So the Democrats are shackled to this horribly waning candidate shuffling through his speeches, uh, where two-thirds of the country, including many Democrats, don't think, think he's fit to hold office against Donald Trump, the likely nominee. In other words, even with the Iowa gun going off, things are exactly the way we said they were for the last six months. And that's the Kafka novel that is American politics and where we are today. Obviously, in the contest, we will move this thing forward. We'll probably do, do one of these after New Hampshire, certainly after Super Tuesday when John and I will be in D.C. Um, and, and really get our ear to the ground of what's going on 
in Republican Party politics as we try to push the last best hope and realism is the glue uniting the Jacksonian and Jeffersonian base of the Republican Party, because as we say in the introduction of the book, if you can change the GOP, you can change America, and if you can change America, you can change the world, and we're going to go to D.C. and try to put our book into practice. That's the exciting next step, which I'll involve our community in as we go. But we'll probably do one of these either after New Hampshire or after Super Tuesday, but frankly, I'm with Chris Christie. You can take this result to the bank. Thanks very much. It was great to do the contest 2024, where we look at the start. The starter's gun is about to go off in Iowa, but the clear parameters of the race, um, I think, can already be seen. It'll be Trump, Biden, a bunch of third-party candidates, and notably Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's running a very positive and exciting campaign, the only one with real favorables going forward, who's threatening to do better as a third-party candidate than anyone since Ross Perot, and we'll keep our eye on that, as we called that a while back. To. Listen, thank you so much. Please now tell everyone you know who might be interested, do buy The Last Best Hope. It's available as of today, literally everywhere. And in our community, please do take the time, just a couple minutes, to go on the Amazon site, wherever you are, give us the five stars, write us a favorable review, and let's do that rarest of things. Let's get Jeff Bezos working for us. Thanks very much. I'll keep you up, up to date about the book. Have a wonderful weekend. And next week, we move on to the culture where we look at Marvin Gaye, again, back to Jan Wenner being wrong about African-Americans and women not being profound enough. We just did a one that I really enjoyed, and a lot of you did, I'm glad to say, on Joni Mitchell and her wonderful, her transcendent album, Blue. We're now going to move on to one of the greatest concept albums ever made, What's Going On, as a wounded, articulate, sensitive African-American man looks at the late 1960s from an almost unique perspective and creates creative gold out of what he sees. Take care and on to next week. Have a great weekend, everybody.